Well, here we go. Another uh, day, another 50 cents, Mr. Shannon. How are you? Okay. Great, Robert. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, I mean, I was in the city for a while yesterday and, uh, you know, there weren't uh, people uh, lamenting and dragging their sorry butts around the city. They were, they were back to well, normal because, within 24 hours. Because of the Toronto Maple Leafs um, staggering performance. I, well, I, I think that would be the, probably the reason. Yeah, yeah. but I mean, look at, uh, honestly, um, I think people have all kinds of other things on their mind and there are other problems in the world besides um, the Toronto Maple Leafs losing in the first round of the Montreal Canadiens. I, I suspect that is the real reason for it. Yeah. But I'll tell you what, Bob, as you well know, with social media and what happens in social media now, the, the reaction of fans, faceless fans to players uh, and to organizations is staggering at times. Uh, when they take it far too seriously. Oh, I'm not arguing that. Um, boy, oh boy, oh boy. I mean, just look at look what Ethan Bear in Edmonton went through uh, at the end of their series uh, with some uh, uh, racial epithets on on social media to he and his girlfriend. Just disgusting, disgusting. That's that's the simple word, and I, I feel so badly for for what Ethan went through. Well, I wonder whether some of this just isn't, you know, you can't be outraged year after year after year. Eventually, you get to the point where you just kind of throw up your hands and go, well, it is what it is. Yeah. And maybe yeah. that's the case. Well, with I, 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 I actually, I, I do blame the media a little bit for it because I think what we've created in this world is, a, is such a polarization that, uh, that, that we expect media people to react far one way or far the other way and now i think the fans uh feel that liberty as well and there's it's 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 at times it's supposed to be entertaining um but it's it's not right when it uh, when it becomes personal so you're suggesting that those in the media incite the fans to reaction i i'm saying it's a, an element of what we have created with uh, the the point counterpoint philosophy of sports today, in, in you know the the overreaction, the Skip Baylesses, the Stephen A. Smiths, uh, I think there's a whole genre of people that uh, feel that uh, uh, if you don't have one hard opinion, you know, way out there then you're not doing your job. And I think that, I think, I think people who love their sports teams uh, jump into that, uh, into that as well. JP Morosi is going to join us. So we're going to uh, talk some baseball. Uh, before we do that, one of the news stories of this week is um, certainly one of the top tennis players in the world, Naomi Osaka, won her first round match in, um, in Paris and decided not to address the media which is um, mandated by the tournament and by most tournaments and uh, was fined $15,000. Um, the Roland Garros people are suggesting they tried to contact her and um, were unable to do so. And Miss um, Osaka has withdrawn from the French Open. Mm -hmm. Um Initially, my belief was that this was a reaction to the, the, the um, fine. Um, 
and you take a perspective based upon that. But now it appears, at least, that the dialogue surrounds her anxiety mm. and that this is an ongoing problem. And the question then becomes, should these tournaments, should sports deal with these issues separately? In other words, player A throws a hissy fit um, or just doesn't feel like going into the media room and takes the fine. Um, another player, like Miss Osaka, if this is accurate, has a physical slash mental problem. Mm -hmm. um, and yet the reaction of the tournament in this case would be exactly the same for both. Is that right? Here's, here, here's the, the, the complexity of this. When you are a professional athlete, when you expect to get paid for your performance, when you sign a contract with, in this case, the WTA, and sign to play in uh, the French Open, you, you sign a contract to say that you will perform uh, all of the elements uh, that are required for you to be a professional tennis player and to get paid. Uh, it, it, it is part, whether we like it or not, it is part of the, the, con the obligations of being a professional athlete. And, and I, when I say, well, they don't have to talk to the media, it's not about, it's, it really is not about the media. It's about putting themselves at a dais in front of a microphone with all those corporate partners, with their names behind them, uh, with all of the corporate partners that buy the television rights, uh, to be uh, obligated contractually. So it, 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 and do I feel for, for her, for her anxiety issues? Absolutely. Because Bob, at some level, we all have anxiety issues. We all hate to do certain things. And, you know, we have the option of refusing to do them. But it, it is actually part of the job description. And that's, that's the dilemma. And so should they, should, uh, should Roland Garros, should they manage it better? Probably. We're, we're learning things every day. Uh, but at the same time there, as soon as you sign that contract, you are obligated to be involved in the promotion uh, and of, of the, of the tournament and the sport. Okay. So let me present it based on what you said. Let me present it in a slightly different fashion. A player is injured during a match and is physically incapable of uh, going to the media room afterwards. Uh, I would suggest to you that the organizers of the French Open or any other tournament would not find that player. I, I believe you're correct. Um, in this case, there is no outward physical evidence of any problem with Ms. Osaka. But there is an understanding, at least an allegation, that there is a mental issue here, mm -hmm. which cannot be seen. It is not a physical thing. It is um, in some way, shape, or form. I suppose we have to take her word that um, she is struggling with this. And as somebody who goes through this, and I have for many, many years, I get it. It's hard to explain. You, you can't quantify it. You can't justify it. You can't 
assure people that it exists. You can only tell them mm-hmm. well, this is my problem. Right. Um, it just seems to me that there is a disconnect here. A physical injury, I'm sure they would waive the obligation to do media. I'm, I'm sure they would. A mental issue, clearly at this point, they're not prepared to do that. Well, but it's, it, it, and, and listen, I, you're, you're, what you have said is logical. What, what we are learning and what we have tried to learn as a society in the last I, I would think I'd like to think 20 years, but it feels like 20 days at times is that certain the things that we don't understand, we just try to plow through. Um, and, you know, so we need to, we need to understand mental wellness better. We really do. Um, uh, and until we do that, then we're going to have these issues constantly. Um it's it's one of those ones where you feel for her there you know my answer is is that quite frankly on in the short term is listen until you're you're at a position that you you feel you can fulfill your obligations then you know what stay home and don't play well that's not but that's not the answer really no 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 because i no. but at the same time i would like to be in a position and and the tennis world should be in a position to try to help her to try to help her fight through it to try to help her because that you it's it's a it's a difficult one bob i i listen i feel i feel for her i feel for everybody that has anxiety issues uh and the only way you have the only way you can try to solve it is to work through it so that's what what i would say let's let's try to with her let's try to work through it it just raises the the perspective for me that power is a dangerous thing and uh in the world we live in today it seems like everybody wants power and when they get it they exercise it autonomously and um I think that's a very, very dangerous thing. We're, we're seeing a similar thing. I mean, I, I know it's very different, but, you know, uh, plowing ahead with the Tokyo Olympics um, later this summer is mind-blowingly stupid. And, and yet we understand that the IOC are nothing more than greedy business people who have billions of dollars at stake that they don't want to give up mm-hmm. and are are risking um, the potential health of a whole bunch of people for nothing more than uh, the almighty dollar. Right. And, um, and, and it relates to power. You give people power and they, they stop making rational, intelligent decisions. They make decisions based upon their power place and about economics. And, and I can't help but believe that that is what is motivating the French Open right now. I, I understand them fining her. And the fine was $15,000, which is a lot of money, but not that impactful, respectfully, to Ms. Osaka, who makes a lot of money. But here we are several days later. Why could the French Open have not come out and said, all right, we understand the situation better now. We understand why this took place. Mm-hmm. We're not going to hold her responsible for for going to that press conference, and we're going to we're going to withdraw the demand that she pay the fine. That would have been, in my mind, the respectful, logical thing to do. 
um, typically they have not done that. And I think, I think we're past the due date now. Well, I, 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 no, I don't, no, I, I don't think, I don't think we've seen the end of this. I, I really don't. Uh, well, I don't. I'm not saying we have, John. What I'm saying is that if they do it now, it is going to be as a result of pressures that are being put on the opportunity over the last 48 hours to make well, but, um, and, but, but a, a that, different decision and have chosen not to. Listen, change, change so many times, change is only measured because of external pressure. Uh, you know, that's, that's one of the good things about living, living in a society that... Well, we good and bad. Open. Yeah. But I mean, well, yeah, I mean, listen, we, we've seen situations in the last few weeks where external pressures aren't logical, aren't emotional, are, are overly emotional. Um, and this one, this one, I don't, I, I don't think we've seen the end of it. And I, I, when, and, it, and when Roland Garros says that they find her $15,000, there's, you know, there's lots of leagues and lots of situations that publicly say they find people, but the fine is never paid. Well, but that's the perspective, the, 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 yeah, no, and I understand. I listen, I, I, but I, I, I think if, if, if this is an issue for her, she should get help. Uh, I want to see her play tennis. I want her to, to be, to contribute, but I also, I also think that she needs to understand that she does have some business obligations. She is a business person too. She has a business obligation I understand in helping promote this, the sport. Uh, and to to my knowledge, she has not missed a press conference, whether by whether obligated or otherwise, until this point. Right. She is in a place right now. We believe that is pretty dark for her. She knew. She told Roland Garros that they were. She was not going to go to the press conference before the press conference. They yeah. were advised in advance, at, and and. Um, there, it just seems their reaction is almost predatory. No, I, I listen, you, you know, as well as I do organizations, long-term organizations that view their view, their traditions and view their position within the sporting world. That goes back to that power discussion you had. Uh, and sometimes they do it without compromise. You know, even our friends at Augusta have, have started to learn it's important to create compromise. Because in the end, there's 5%, there's 5% over in one side, and there's 5% in the other side, and there's 90% gray. And most yeah. of us live in the 90% gray area. Yeah, we do. We do. Um, anyway. it's, look, at, we can discuss it forever and ever, amen. And I think you're right. The Olympic, actually, you know, the Olympic discussion, I'm going to talk to the producer. I like that Olympic discussion. I think we have to find a group of people to talk about the Olympics at one point. Well, you know, we can always go to Dick Pound, but we know where he's going to stand. And I know, uh, I, I don't know. Dick may, Dick may surprise you. Well, I saw, I saw a little clip from him and he is supportive of the, uh, of the IOC's decision to move forward with this, but uh, uh, boy, I'll tell you, it is. It is hard to understand. I we we it. It just seems obvious to me, yeah, that there are billions of dollars at stake, and the IOC has put the health and welfare of their athletes, the athletes that generate those billions of dollars, um, 
behind the economic yeah, realities yeah. of holding these games. We, we got to go, but I, I think I most of the athletes want to go anyway. So that's, that's the other aspect. Of well, it. that's the other dilemma, right? Sure. Yeah. 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 So uh, some baseball chatter when we come back, JP Morosi, always welcome here. will join us after these messages. Tax day is coming. Oh no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC. Uh, and we're back. It's uh, Bob McCown. It's John Shannon uh, from Parts Unknown. Speaking no, that's of- not true. That's not true. You know exactly where I am. Come well, on. I don't know from day to day. I mean, I I recognize the fake Stanley Cup in the background. I'd be the real one, Bob. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Grab it and show us your name. <laughs> it's in magic marker. I'm pretty sure you don't get one of those. Unless your name is stamped on it. I know mine isn't. And I'm, and although he'd love to have his name on the cup, our guest um, does not. JP Morosi is uh, with us. Baseball guy, but hockey fanatic. That's uh, me. How are you guys? Well, we're, we're still here. We're hanging in. Have you had both your shots now? Yes, I have since April, in fact. So uh, here in Michigan, was very lucky to get them and, and feel very grateful to be. Oh, wait a second. Back Tell in the, the truth. Tell the truth. Your wife is a physician. Um, I'm guessing that you did not have to stand at the back of the line when the when Bob, the you can go to a wall. Them. You can go to a Walmart, a CVS, a Walgreens. They are they are giving this stuff away. There was no uh, special line or queue granted to me by virtue of my wife's employment. And that is, that is a fact. I, uh, I waited uh, with the rest of my fellow citizens and residents. And, and as John points out, we are at a spot in Michigan where the vaccine is readily available and very, very grateful to say that. So um, yeah, it's fantastic. It's, yeah. I, I tell you what, it has been obviously a very complicated time, but I was reflecting earlier this month or actually in May now as we're in the early days of June, that if you had told me a year ago that by the end of May, I would have already been to eight major league stadiums this season and would already have both doses of my COVID-19 vaccine, I would have been over the moon with gratitude. And so in accordance with that, I'm over the moon with gratitude. That's how I feel. I really do. I, I realize there's a lot of, complexity still in 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 the world and as it relates to this but I, I have to just say that the credit goes to the medical community and the scientists who have uh, who've been able to deliver this this vaccine and I'm just grateful for what they've done and uh, and now it's time to pivot and turn that gratitude into helping those who, yeah. who are still having a tougher time with it that's how I feel about it but and, it's, it's been a it's been and, a real uh, it's been a real thoughtful time for sure and to convince others to please get the vaccine that's right. That's, Repu- that's Republicans is what you're talking about. I, it doesn't matter what. Convince label. the moronic Republicans. It, it, it doesn't matter what vaccine. label. Please. Well. Get the vaccine. Please. Oh, yes. We all agree, John. No, you guys do. But then maybe the, some of the listeners don't. And we, we Please they get the vaccine. They are the Republicans. No, that's, that's not true. Come on. 
Now you're now you're just bugging well, me. check check now the you're news. Just bugging me. Yeah. Oh yeah. Because <laughs> the news is so accurate these days. Well, it's better than the weather. <laughs> um, baseball. We could go a lot of directions, but um, when uh, Vladdy Guerrero Jr. was first identified as a prospect, he was about 15 years old, maybe maybe less. But it's when it's about the time that we all became kind of aware of him and we didn't get a chance to see him very often. You may have Morosi now and again. I think he was 16 when the Blue Jays signed him. Um, you know, they talked about him being otherworldly. He certainly performed like that in the minor leagues as he rose through the system and got to the major leagues and then kind of stubbed his toe a little bit. Uh, and not that he played poorly or hit poorly for a 20 year old, 19, 20 year old. It just wasn't, otherworldly it wasn't ken griffey jr um you know at age 18 uh i am actually quite surprised that he has now emerged from that cocoon and is actually showing us what is possible with this guy and what is possible with this guy is almost unlimited isn't it it's miguel cabrera type MVP numbers from the years that I saw Miguel have in Detroit when he mm -hmm. was at his peak. That's what Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is reminding me of right now. That's how great he is. And I think Bob and, and John, to your point, 2020 was a difficult year for him. He took ownership of that. He improved his conditioning. And now look at what he's able to do. I, I, you, you look at a lot of young players in this game. It, it's very rare. Griffey, is probably the exception a player whose numbers are great stay great and almost never deviate from that path after arriving as a teenager that process is extremely rare you oh, even God, look yeah. at what mike trout did go back and check mike trout's numbers from 2011 mm -hmm. uh, he had a little bit of a rough introduction to the major leagues he did it, and with vladdy it it just takes some time i think for a for a player of, of his ability, uh, he had to understand what, what habits and routines he needed to have to get his body exactly to, to the way that it needs to be. And I think that for any young person, there's the process of receiving advice from your elders about ways that you should pursue your profession and routines you need to have. And then there's the process of of learning for yourself and making your own mistakes and learning from them. And I think Vladdy is at that spot where I think in some ways, guys, it's almost more important that he, he had to make the adjustments. He had to do it on his own. And you can see just in the way he's carrying himself, the pride that he has taken in the dedication he has to his profession. It really is inspiring to see. And, and to, to your point, Bob, the potential is limitless and this is a fun Blue Jays team to watch between oh, yeah. Vladdy and Teoscar. And, and we've barely even seen George Springer in a Blue Jays uniform. Oh, hold on. Is he, hold on. Is he, is, is George Springer on this team? He is John. He'll be okay. here at some point. Just checking. And, Sorry. and I make this point and I was actually reflecting on this last night. The Blue, the Blue Jays right now, you could argue have probably one of the best best lineups in all of baseball, especially that top five group. Uh, and you look at Bo Bichette, he's becoming, I believe, into one of the very best 10 to 15 players in the sport right now. You look around the, the game and, and you could argue perhaps 
the Padres when they're fully healthy with Trent Grisham back there, the Dodgers once they fully have Bellinger and Seager all going again. But because of the injuries of those teams and, and frankly, the injuries of a lot of teams around baseball right now, to see Teoscar come back with the Blue Jays, the development of Bichette, Marcus Semyon, what a great signing he has been for the Blue Jays. Really one of the best free agent signings, I believe, anywhere in baseball entering this season. One through five, Bob, I think you're exactly right. The Blue Jays have arguably the best lineup in the sport right now. Okay, so let's throw uh, let's throw your Ross Atkins hat on. Um, you talked about Simeon. I, I think that he has been probably the biggest or the happiest surprise for this organization this season in so many ways. For the fact that he went moved to second base, the fact that he's batting as well as he is, what do you do with him? I mean, he took a risk on you and you took, uh, you took a risk on him. Uh, how much money can he get and how much money should you be paying him? Well, that's a great question, John, because obviously, as you point out, it's a one-year deal and, and he's headed uh, to free agency again. I'm a big fan of Marcus Simeon to begin with. I think on and off the field, tremendous person, incredibly well-respected teammate. And to your point, John, when you are a marquee for that says a lot about you as a teammate. And I think Marcus Semyon is someone that you want to have around for a while, especially when, let's be honest, there, there are still some questions about Bo Bichette defensively in the long term. And the one thing that makes this a very interesting decision for Toronto's standpoint is they do have some infielders coming between Groshans and Martin. So how does that enter into the equation here? How does that enter into the equation of where you play Biggio in the long term, where you play Bichette in the long term, and how long you're comfortable connecting yourself to Semyon. I would also say this, John, that I would wait on this decision until the offseason. And the reason I'm, I'm going to wait, or at least wait until August, is my valuation of Semyon and his importance to the Blue Jays long term is linked to whether or not the Jays have to trade Groshans or Martin uh, at, at the at the, the, the deadline here to, to find a way to, to, to get this uh, overall starting rotation a little bit better. So that to me is what I, what I want to see there. Do they have to make this move to make one more, uh, one more pitching move and trade one of the young shortstops? If they do that, then all of a sudden Semyon becomes all the more important to the future of the Blue Jays. Uh, here's the interesting thing about the upcoming trade deadline, JP, is that Historically, here's what we know. Everybody needs pitching. Everybody wants pitching. Everybody is going to go after pitching, and almost nobody gets it. If they, What they get is a short-term fix, perhaps. Either an, an aged pitcher who you hope has a, a little bit of gas left in the tank or a guy who's headed for free agency who's going to be there for a couple of months and try and get you to a, you know, a playoff World Series, whatever. The other need that the Blue Jays have, clearly, is at third base. The position that... Um, junior uh, played initially and was deemed not to be good enough defensively to continue playing. And if you will recall, many of us, I don't think necessarily the three of us, but many people were projecting that Guerrero junior was going to be a DH and very quickly that he couldn't play defensively. Well, the people who've replaced him at third base haven't been any better and he has been stellar at first base defensively, like gold glove good defensively at first base. So 
do you go out and try and rent a pitcher, which is almost invariably what happens uh, at the trade deadline, or do you go and look for a third baseman? Because, the, you know, the yeah, needs are in both places. What would you those, do? Those are, those are excellent questions too, Bob. I, I think, first of all, the, the name, as you were describing the short-term veteran pitcher out there, Jay Happ is going to be out there again. And I'm, I'm not necessarily suggesting that he returned to Toronto for – for yet another stint, but but that's the kind of pitcher that you're talking about. I also think that in general, Bob, I, I would I would lean toward pursuing pitching now. The third base conversation, when when you talk about a lineup that is as good as what we've discussed already for the Blue Jays, your need to go out there and get Josh Donaldson version from 2015, the superstar to carry your team, is just at the moment not terribly high you can probably at some point especially when you're getting offense from shortstop with bow and second base from Semyon, you can carry probably a lighter bat and better glove at third going forward and so for that reason i i would not make third base a priority right now and, and you could also depending on how things play out with your your prospects maybe martin or groshans becomes a legitimate third baseman at some point and, and you solve your question from within i think to me Pitching is where they have to direct their efforts. And, and I would look at a team like the Cincinnati Reds with their young pitching and, and consider, and, and Luis Castillo is not terribly young still at this point in time. He's more of a young veteran, if you will. But I would look to make a trade now for a starting pitcher who I would control, not just for this year, but for multiple years into the future, I'm not saying they, they would, they would get this, this guy because he's within the same division, but someone like a John means with Baltimore. Again, I don't expect the Orioles would trade him to the blue Jays and they probably won't trade him at all, but I'm, I'm saying you want to get the young pitcher who's established himself. And, and that's the kind of guy that you're comfortable probably giving up a, a Martin or a growth chance for because it's a controllable piece for the long term. That's the kind of trade, in my opinion, they should be looking at. Fine. But if, if I'm giving up a real asset, I have to get someone who I'm going to control for a while. And, and that, to me, is what's going to be important going forward. Um, the Blue Jays debuted a, um, a young pitcher. Well, young. He's not 18 or 19. But a guy who had like I think thirty-five innings of uh, professional pitching, um, it's just in a generic. And the kid was great and pitches again tonight, I think. Um, just in a generic sense, do you think baseball sometimes is too structured, too insistent on process, and sometimes unwilling to? understands see that there are exceptions to every rule i mean would you brought the kid up or would or, or do you think it's a real dangerous thing to do well i think we talked about alec manoa during spring training and and mm -hmm. and how impressed we were by what he did and, and i remember there was a start he had against the yankees and looked very composed even in spring training uh, and of course it was against the yankees that he makes his major league debut and looks so poised so i, I think bob to your question there are so many aspects now of player development that are being re-examined. And part of it is because of the changes to the minor leagues. Part of it's because of the, the changes to the draft, a lot of different aspects of, of bringing up young players. 
that have changed rather rapidly in the last several years and probably will continue to change as we move into the new CBA, whatever changes might happen in that at that point. To me, with pitching, I, I do think this. The, the velocities are so great, and therefore the stress on the arms is so intense that, and I'm making a generalization here, that pitchers can probably, except for the truly elite ones, pitchers can probably pitch with that velocity and that kind of stuff for only so long before their body just says, we're not meant to do this. And, and the arm or the, the knee, whatever it might be in the kinetic chain starts to wear down. And as a consequence, I, I am someone who has always been comfortable. If a pitcher is ready and, and he's showing that he's got the, the necessary repertoire to succeed at the major league level, bring him up, bring him up because there's no promise that, that this stuff is going to sustain itself for years and years and years. When you talk about someone that, can throw 99 miles an hour with a great breaking pitch for 15 straight years in the major leagues. He's a Hall of Famer. So you, you can't expect that's going to be the case. And I, I go back to seeing young pitchers when I was covering the Tigers, like a Justin Verlander, succeed. And even those like a Joel Zamaya who who danced across our, our consciousness for a for a year and then and then faded because of injury that might've been the best of Zamaya, And no matter what happened, that may have been the best he could offer. This is a very precarious part of the game. And my general statement on this is if a guy is ready, do not waste some great pitches that he's offering against the Toledo Mudhens. get him up to the major leagues and, and see how that stuff plays at the highest level. The problem is, is that for every one Justin Verlander, there's 50 Mark Fidrich's. Sure. Well, and, and obviously, John, to that point, uh, I'm not sure if the ratio is quite 50 from an injury standpoint. And and the, the point like about Finnerich, right. But the point about Finnerich was we didn't know back then. We obviously I wasn't born yet, but we, the, the, the baseball world did not yet know how to care for arms right. of that dynamic nature. And now, in general, we do in terms of how you care for the for the pitcher with the innings. I, I, but I would say this, I'm, I'm comfortable being cautious in terms of the, the innings that the pitcher throws and, and, and limiting them from a year to year basis. I get that. My point is I don't want to waste those innings in the minor leagues. If the pitcher is ready, bring them up. The, this notion of, 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 of waiting, waiting until they're overripe. You see now, especially this season guys with all the soft tissue injuries elbow strains and hamstrings for position players. I think that we have a, a, some residue here of, of the shortened season last year and the, the lost developmental time. But to me, don't try to get too clever with, with waiting on your guys to, to bring them up. When they're ready, use those pitches and use those innings where they're going to matter to your organization the very most, and that's at the major league level. You know what, John? John, I, I, I live about 15 kilometers away from Bob, and I can hear him gloating from here because he's agreeing with you. No, I'm not. What? Um, well, I'm, I'm agreeing with some of what he says. Oh, but, okay. Um, well, well, let's take a break. I, I want to take a quick break here. We'll come back and uh, we'll uh, we'll chastise Morosi for his um, some of his comments uh, after these <laughs> uh, messages. 
Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. It's Bob McCown. It's uh, John Shannon. It's J.P. Morosi um, chatting baseball. Here's the problem that I have with the comments that you made, and it's only a segment of it. Um, Major League Baseball with the Toronto Blue Jays just spent a fortune to redo their spring training site. It's alleged, I haven't seen it, of course, but it's allegedly state-of-the-art. It's uh, very impressive. I've seen a video of it. And um, all other teams are doing all these things. Uh, starting pitchers are not being allowed to do what we as kids allowed them to do. Pitchers are expected to throw 100% fastballs every time they throw a fastball. This isn't about 85 or 90% sometimes ramping it up every now and again. It's throw as hard as you can for as long as you can. And it has made players and pitchers far more disposable. I'm making the argument here, Morosi, that baseball has gone too far with this health medical push to get the maximum um, um, achievement out of their athletes. And that inevitably what happens is, and it is happening now, it's not a question of it's going to happen in the future. Right now, there are more injuries in baseball than literally at any time in history. And pitchers are pitching, throwing fewer pitches on a night, throwing fewer innings. Um, the game is broken, in my opinion, in terms of the strategies of how to manage your, your roster and, and your manpower. That's a big statement, I know. Argue with me. Well, there's a few things there. Number one, Bob, we're going to see next year baseball plan on moving to what is a limit on the number of pitchers you can have on the active roster. That was recently done away with the last couple of years because of the pandemic, but now uh, going to 2022, the idea is that you're going to have a limit of 13 pitchers. And when you consider what that means, you're going to have to get more innings per pitcher than you are right now. And I also think it's it's interesting, Bob, that some of the no-hitters we have seen thrown have not been by guys who are throwing 100 miles an hour. Wade Miley mm -hmm. is not a pitcher who throws 100, nor does John Means. And I, I think that the, the way in which we are heralding velocity and championing velocity is, is not optimal for the way the game looks on the field. I would much rather watch a game where – the starting pitchers on both sides are throwing 90 and the balls are in play more frequently. That's more of the routine of the game that I fell in love with. And I, I think people around the sport recognize the problem. Theo Epstein has talked a lot about this and he's been very thoughtful on it about ways that the game needs to evolve. But here's the thing. You have to convince the GMs whose jobs are on the line every game in, in this sport that not only is it in the best interest of the sport, 
to promote pitchers differently, develop them differently, structure your roster differently. Not only is it in the best interest of the sport, but it's in the best interest of their own job security and ability to win. That is what eventually has to be done because until that happens, the data-driven decision-making in the sport will do what the executives always do now, which is put the numbers into the algorithm and see what it spits out. And that's going to be largely what guides the decision-making process. And until that changes, until the calculus changes, whether it's via changing the shift or something even more dramatic than that, like I've had the idea in the past, let's, let's just try it for uh, one minor league for a season. Start everybody with a one-on-one count and just see how it looks. Just see how it looks. Why not? Let's, let's try it at the minor league level and see if that results in a better product. Baseball has to find some ways to, to increase the amount of contact, the amount of action on the field in a way that stimulates our minds and, and draws our attention to the field more often. Because right now, with the walks and strikeouts, there are just simply not enough balls in play. And you have to properly incentivize executives to put different looking teams on the field or else they're just simply not going to do it for the good of the game. Tell you what, right now, when you think about a, a limited amount of pitchers on a roster and you think that you have to be in for three batters, what you're hoping for is bad pitching. That's what you're hoping for. You're hoping for bad pitching in order to, for, for, for batters to hit the ball, quite simply. Well, and, and John, that, that, that's a very fair point. There's the, the notion of where we are at. And also, the hitters themselves are not totally absolved of, of responsibility here because time after time, they are refusing to make the adjustments. Mm-hmm. How often do you see a hitter? You know, Anthony Rizzo is one exception to this because he will choke up and he'll put on a two strike swing and put the ball in play. But how many offensive players do you see choking up and taking a noticeably different stroke with two strikes? It does not happen very often. And, and, they know largely that they can expect what's coming in many cases, the high fastball and, and the lower breaking pitch. The one thing I'll point out that I think is really interesting and Theo has talked about this with Bob Nightingale recently, a story in USA today where Theo basically said, we can talk about ways of adjusting the strike zone in the future to increase the amount of contact and, and incentivize the amount of contact once that strike zone becomes the automated version of it, whenever that happens in the next few years, and you have the automated strike zone, you, you'll still see an umpire back there, but it's going to be done by computer and, and, and Hawkeye technology positioning, whatever it is. But the point is that if baseball looks at it and says, whoa, wait a minute, we're at the all-star break. We've got very little contact. we got to make some changes here. What they can do is universally say, okay, everybody, as effective as of today, we're going to flatten the strike zone a little bit. We're going to take those top couple inches off and we're going to expand it to maybe a, a little bit uh, additional width on either side of the plate. And that's going to bring in a little more contact because the ball has to come down more. Right. And, and that can be done quite literally with the push of a button, technologically speaking. And to Theo's point, we may be able to see more contact because pitchers will have to adjust to the objective real-time changing strike zone don't the two unions the umpires and the players have to agree to that sure they sure do and that's where and that's a very good point as well that's that's something that i wonder if 
so the umpires union, as it relates to different dynamics of, of replay and, and certainly the introduction of the automated strike zone would have a lot of say so. But I, I wonder if the specificity, John, of that, of saying what the strike zone is and how it's defined, I, I do think the players union would have some, some say so there and perhaps the union as well, but that might be an area of, of the playing rules of the game where, um, where there's probably not too much that will need to be offered uh, in the way of the players union. Because of course you may have pitchers who, who love the change and, <laughs> and hitters who don't or vice versa, depending on how you're going to change the strike zone. Uh, it's all, it's all fascinating. You know, we, the three of us could sit here and chat about this for a day. Are you letting Morosi go now? I have to, because he's got a time. Well, no, before we let him go, we, you, you, 30 seconds on, uh, it's great to hear a Detroit Red Wing guy talk about the Toronto Maple Leafs. Well, here's, oh, well, well, thank you, John, for that tee up. Here's what I'm going to say. <laughs> so I, I love, and I've been listening to a lot of the comparisons made between the Leafs now and the Red Wings of the 90s and how they couldn't, how the Wings could not find a way to get past the, the playoff obstacles and the, the, all these early exits. I find it so interesting that who was the player, guys, that the Wings acquired in the fall of 1996 to change the dynamic of their team? Brendan Shanahan. Brendan yeah. Shanahan. That's right. Brendan Shanahan. Think about that was 25 years ago. Think about that. 25 years ago, it was Brendan Shanahan whom they brought in to change the character of the team. Of course, they trade away Paul Coffey, future Hall of Famer. But that trade is what finally changed the wings. It added in that extra layer of toughness and grit and leadership and scoring that helped bring out the best in Iserman, in Fedorov, and the whole group. So I just, I've been thinking about that. Oh my gosh, it was Shanahan himself. And the other thought that I'll leave you with this. If, now, of course, we're, we're one round away from this happening. If the Avalanche play the Canadiens in the semifinal in, in what is known, what we can certainly call the Patrick Waugh series. Sure. That would be the first postseason matchup between these franchises since I believe the Adams Division playoffs of 1993, a great uh, six-game series between the Nordiques and the, the Habs way back then. And, they, and Montreal went on to win the Stanley Cup. That's right. Big year for Montreal. Uh, it's so delightful to listen to you guys wax eloquently about the, <laughs> the great history of the of the sport and the relevance to of any of this to the current game, specifically the Toronto Maple Leafs. The history of the game is fantastic. But the other thing I would say is is that JP must have listened to our podcast yesterday because, as we said at the beginning of the show yesterday, was the one person that Brendan Shanahan's Maple Leafs team is missing. Is Brendan Shanahan. Is Brendan Shanahan. You're exactly right. <laughs> well done. Well done. I remember that trade distinctly, and it just it changed, it changed the wings. It changed they had they and and the, the thing about that, I'll leave you with this thought. The wings had to make some very tough decisions back then. You think about the great players that were traded right before they finally won the cup, coffee, primo, Cicerelli. They sure. had to make some tough calls on great players. And and now it's up to Shanahan and Dubas to do the same. And and quite frankly, the trade they didn't make was to get, rid, to get rid of Iserman. That's exactly right. Change the whole perspective. Uh, you no, know, that's uh, that's that's bang on. And you have to give the Russian five a little bit of a credit too. Uh, certainly, yes. What Slava uh, Fetisov changed, particularly Fetisov changed the dressing room and the dressing room culture. So 
Well said, John. Uh, Shannon well said. began this little discussion here by saying uh, th no more than 30 seconds. Um, he was he lived in a truck for uh, 30 years of his life, uh, <laughs> counting time. Uh, that took I heard the countdown in my ear, Bob, and I was I heard John seconds. saying, rap, get out, John, get the break, John, rap. Yeah, I heard that in my ear right then. I'm just trying. I'm try I was trying to get you out on time, Morosi, trying to be a good guy, and, and Shannon screwed <laughs> it up. So... Now go off and do what you have to do, and uh, we promise we'll call I, you. Soon. I had 42 texts from John yesterday about he wanted to talk hockey. Yeah, yeah I had some ideas. That's his. I had day. some ideas. There that, you that, go. He had some ideas. There you Again, go. you can't shut up, Shannon. <laughs> oh, it's my Morosi won't stop, and it's my fault. It's unbelievable. Uh, love you guys. My, my mistake. Thanks for everything. <laughs> we'll see you soon. Sounds uh, great. Thanks, JP guys. Morosi. We'll come back and wrap it after these messages. Uh, back to rapid. Uh, Shannon can't stop laughing. Well, no, is it, it, it? You know when John's on a timetable, but if you set him up, he just he he's he's like uh, the whirling dervish. He never stops. Hey, by the way, Bob, uh, our friend Haley Wickenheiser, yes, sent her T-shirt through. Oh, nice. This is all. This is all. I, I'm I'm bringing mine by the house today for you. Um, this is all about. Uh, please go get your vaccination. This is how we started the show with John. It's uh, it's uh, what That's does it say nice. here? This, this is, is our shot. shot. And, uh, you know, if you haven't had been vaccinated, please get vaccinated. And if you have a chance to get your second one, please get your second one. Yes, and it seems to be our country is uh, is is turning the corner when it comes to not just first uh, first vaccinations, but second ones, too. You drop that off and you can pick up your Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, well, I, I tell you what, I better wear that tonight to keep George and Kelly and the boys uh, a little happy because they. Uh, they uh, they need some help tonight. Uh, before we go, a concept I, I can't suggest in any way that this is original. I'm sure I saw it somewhere. I don't know whether I saw it in two separate stories or in one story. But it raised, you know, initially it's pretty obvious and you go, oh, yeah, okay. And then you start thinking about it. Um, you do not believe that the Toronto Maple Leafs will change their coach or their general manager. And almost, and almost no one does. Right. And I understand that. But if that decision was made, Rutherford and Boudreaux. Two former rather, Leafs. Yes. Two Toronto boys. Both of whom have had success. It, one is a general manager and one is a coach, and both of whom are available. They are. Maybe rather than change the pieces in the game, change the message. And um, I wonder. I wonder. It just it got me thinking. That I I wonder whether that kind of a move would make any sense. And, and we understand it's purely hypothetical. And if you hired Rutherford, there's no guarantee that he'd hire Boudreau and he'd be entitled to make that decision. But there you go. Your thoughts. I think you're just looking after your buddies. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> oh, Jim, and, I am? Jim and Bruce are your buddies. <laughs> no, I, I, I honestly, I read it somewhere. I, I'm oh. not creating this out of, out of some fantasy. <laughs> and the fact that I, you know, both of them have been on this program and well, look. Hey, listen. The both, have, both have been great friends. Yeah. No, I mean, you don't. Nice no, you don't, Bob. You, you don't have lots friends. of friends. 
you wouldn't be making the statements you're making. You don't have lots of friends. Let's get that clear. Okay. Well, I have um, two. Yeah. <laughs> according to you, Bruce and Jim. <laughs> um, it, it's a, uh, it's an interesting theory. Uh, you know, darn well, both of them would jump at the opportunity, uh, being Toronto boys, having a love for the I Southern Ontario right. market. Uh, no. I, I mean, but nothing's happened. Nothing's changing. I mean, Kyle Dubas. But that's not what I asked. I understand that. I prefaced the entire conversation by saying, I know there's no reason to believe anything's going to change. Right. But would you do that if you were Shanahan? Would you, cha- would you recognize that it's easier to change the message or the messenger rather than the message? And the message is the players. And we've talked about who would you get rid of? Who would you trade? What, you know, what are you going to do? You got... 10, 12 guys are going to be free agents. Yeah. yeah. Maybe, maybe the roster is fine. Maybe you need a couple of different voices. Well, guy, I, I think it's too early for to change voices. What I would say is that, and we talked, we touched on this yesterday. There needs to be a change in some level of philosophy in the front office. The one thing I would say is that I think uh, you're saying Brendan would make the decision on the other two. My my I think the three of them are joined at the hip. I think Maybe. I think I think Keith, Dubas, Shanahan, they are the package deal. And if you're prepared, if you're if you're on the board, if you're Larry Tannenbaum and you're you know if you're from Rogers or from Bell, and you want to make a change, then you make then you make a change much bigger. I don't think you can leave Kyle and you can remove Kyle and Sheldon without removing Brendan. That's my personal opinion. And I'm not advocating that. Uh, I'm. I. I think they deserve one more kick at the can, but they have to have a change in philosophy. Why do they deserve that, one more? Why do they? I mean, that's that's an interesting thing, but it, it's based on nothing. Well, no, I, I think I, I think if can, you look at if they've you had at, kicks at the can, they sure built they this. Dubas built this team believing he could win, and he failed. Yeah, but if you miserably, look at, if you look at the history of the game, and you look at the history of of teams and players that are able to turn this around and create legacies. The best example of that, in my opinion, is Pittsburgh before Jimmy, and it was with Mario Lemieux. Mario didn't make the playoffs for five years. Didn't make the playoffs for five years, and then went on to become one of the greatest players of all time as he matured. You know, we're forgetting that we're, we are forgetting that Nylander, Matthews, Marner are not very old yet. And that maturation, that growth period is, st- is still a work in progress. And I think that that's why they need one more kick at the can. There's going to be lots of fans that disagree with me. But I'll tell you what. Well, I'm one. Pay- yeah. I don't have a stake in it because I'm no, not. But, the pay- but, you, but par- part, part of growing a franchise properly is when to be patient. Now's the time, particularly within 48 or 72 hours of a game, now is the time to be patient and look at all your options before you make that decision. Patience, unfortunately, is not a virtue that I uh, have. Or subscribe. We've noticed that, Bob. We've noticed. Um, off with their heads. <laughs> uh, and yours, too, if you, if you get in the way. No, no, you know, I, you know, I've already been vaccinated, so, you know, I don't, I don't get it. So, anyway. I, I couldn't care less about here's, the vaccine. Here's your shirt, Bob. I uh, look forward to seeing you, John. And the All right, Robert. Uh, All thanks right. to Haley for uh, shipping it over. Uh, that'll do it for us. Um, another program in all likelihood tomorrow. Although, you think? Uh, you never know. You <laughs> never know. We might be get. We might be fired.
By who? The producer? Well, that's a good point. I don't know who would fire us now. Yeah, that's right. He's a he's a tough bugger. We, we don't work for anybody. <laughs> At least I don't. Uh, see you tomorrow. Goodbye, everybody. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC.